he live and drive in Boston every single day. This guy stopped in the middle of the road with his hazard lights on. This guy won't yield. That guy won't let you go. That guy passes in front of you. That guy goes three lanes of traffic all in one shot. How does anybody do this? The passion. Look, if the Red Sox aren't going to play Yoshida endeavors as they're about to get swept, then we might as well just give up and go home. The opinions on all your favorite teams. I'm glad that Mac Jones looks better. That's really important. He needs to look better. But if it were a video game, he'd still have an overall rating of 76, and that ain't cutting it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy July 3rd to you here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Some of you are taking in fireworks today in Montpelier. Some of you are taking in fireworks today in Burlington. I'm sure others of you are taking in fireworks somewhere else. I hope you all have a great night ahead, and we're here for you for the next 90 minutes. The show is brought to you by Fecto Homes. Again, that's your total home solution in Montpelier. We also are available to you always on the Ayer Auto text line, 802-585-3026. Ayer Auto Sales is located on North Main Street in Barrie. They do a great job for their customers, whether you're buying a vehicle or whether you are unfortunately in an accident, they've got that great collision center to help you. So no matter what you need help with, they've got you covered, ayerautosales.com. You know the deal. You all have been with me long enough on this show to know the deal. So I ask you now, who is out there listening? Because I always like to take attendance here on holidays or pre-holidays to see just how many people we've got out there. Because I'll be honest with you, I've got kind of two shows planned today. If I get a bunch of texts saying, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I got one show. If I got a, a not a lot of texts out there, I got another show planned. So I want to know who is out there, Air Auto text line, 802-585-3026. We got plenty of sports, got some non-sports stuff today too. Even I, who likes to play it as by the book as possible when it comes to sticking to sports, I got some non-sports things I want to talk about that we will take you through. Peter and Williston says I'm present and accounted for. Thank you very much, Peter. Much appreciated. And Peter sent some pictures in saying happy 4th of July with some Snoopy gifts to it. I love the peanuts. Texter says, uh, yo, Brady, I'm here. I'm in from Middlebury. Phil in Middlesex says I'm present. Marion Randolph says I'm here. So we got a lot of people here on the text line. There's more coming in. Phil in Middlesex said happy 4th as well. I hope you all had a great or have a great 4th of July or your celebrations, which have led to it, or maybe even some of you again tonight. Dane in Rochester says I'm listening as well. I'll tell you about my weekend here in a minute. Then we'll get into the Red Sox, who've got that sweep of the Blue Jays now under their belt. So let's just waste no time. We got all the people here, president accounted for. Let's go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. They do have that new location in Rouse's Point coming soon. I am coming into the show today hat in hand 
I'm coming into the show today, tail between my legs. I have been thoroughly embarrassed over the weekend, and I frankly don't know how I'm ever going to get over it. Okay, I remember the feeling when, and a lot of you are out there, right? You'd grow up, you'd play sports against your dad, and your dad would always beat you, right? And then there was a day where you realized you could beat your dad you actually did it. And I remember the pride that came with beating my dad finally when it came to basketball, right? We'd play basketball, we'd play at the Y, we'd play in the front yard, we'd play in the backyard, we'd play wherever we have a court, and I would lose all the time until I was 10, 11, 12, whatever. The day finally eventually came when I could beat my dad at basketball, and I was absolutely thrilled. And that was a huge, that was a big moment for me in growing up was being able to beat my dad. Well, now the somewhat reverse has happened. I don't have a kid who has beaten me, but I got beat by my little brother over the weekend. Not in basketball, but in things that I should not be losing to him in. I got beat by my little brother in multiple bar games multiple times yesterday. So I took a trip to New Hampshire over the weekend, right? My brother lives in, Ham in New Hampshire. My brother lives in Portsmouth, which, by the way, is an underrated gem in New England. I mean, Portsmouth is awesome. Now, I had been to Portsmouth before, but it was like to help him move, and it's not a weekend of inherent fun, and you're it's pouring when I was there the first time. So, like, I didn't get to see Portsmouth, like, in its glory. I did this weekend. It was awesome. Like, Portsmouth was, like, bigger than Burlington, a little bit smaller than Saratoga, but it felt like it had more going on than in Saratoga. That place is legit. And why I didn't know how legit it was, I don't really know. Portsmouth was awesome. However, what wasn't awesome was I go out with my brother last night, and I got smoked. I didn't even get beat. I got smoked by him in multiple bar games. My brother doesn't really drink. I mean, he does, you know, he'll have a beer, but he doesn't really drink. I have spent more time in my life in bars than he has. And I have enjoyed bars in my life more than he has. I should not be losing in any bar games. Now, I haven't played many bar games in a while, right? Like, Jess and I don't go out that much. Since COVID, I don't find myself in, in places where you shoot pool or play darts. That's true. It's not really an excuse, though. I should be able to not play bar games for 10 years and beat my little brother at things. I got beat by him yesterday in both pool and darts. I have rarely felt more humiliated than I did last night. Now, full disclosure, I am bad at pool. I have always been bad at pool. It doesn't matter whether I was 8 years old on the little 3-in-1 Fisher-Price thing where it was combo pool, air hockey, and... And ping pong, I was awful at that kind of pool. I'm awful at travel pool. I'm awful at real pool. I've I can't even I don't know how to properly hold the stick. I don't know when to chalk it. I don't know what order the balls go in when we triangle it up. So I have always been bad at pool. So my brother beat me in that. I was less worried about that. Until we played a second time, I did not hit one shot. I got skunked in pool. How you get skunked in pool is beyond me, but I found a way to do it. So I was embarrassed by that performance. I wasn't as embarrassed that I lost to my brother in that. I was like, okay, 
Look, you just beat me. You embarrassed me in pool. Now we're going to go over to the dartboard. And we're going to play 301. 301 is my game. 301 is kind of everybody's game, right? 301 is fairly easy. If you don't know, you start at 301 points, you shoot at the dartboard three times, and whatever you get, you subtract from 301, you have to get to zero, and you have to hit it exactly. First time, I lose. I got like 40, 40 on the board still, and he wins. Second time, I have 77 on the board. I get it down. I land on, I hit 78, and I go over and bust, and I'm like, well, there we go, and he wins. Now, I ended up with like 20 or something on that left, but like I got beat in 301 twice, and darts are something that I'm good at, or at least I used to be good at. So I've gotten skunked in pool, shut out in pool. I've been beaten in pool another game, and now I've been beaten in darts twice. Again, I have, I've got six years on my brother, and I have spent far more time in bars than him in my life. And here I am, 0-4 against him for the night. How does this, like, I have rarely been that embarrassed before in my life. Rarely been that embarrassed before. So then we set up darts one more time. We play cricket, which is, you know, if you don't know, you got to get three of 20. You got to get three of 19, three of 18, three of 17, three of 16, three of 15, and three of bullseye. I beat him in cricket, but he had already gone 4-0 and against me. I don't even know that he's given it his all at that point. So I have a win, but I don't know that I should feel good about it because I've gone 0-4 previously, and I no longer know if he's invested because he's like, well, I've already smoked him. So I beat him in cricket, and that's great, but I don't know if it means anything. Just a horrible, horrible night. Texter says, uh, was there a poppin' shot? No, that I would still win. I am. I will always be legit at poppin' shot, right? When you have the hoop, you got all the balls that come down to you, you shoot them up, and the hoop will ro rotate back or something. I will always be good at poppin' shot. I am awesome at that game. He says, take your brother out on a baseball field, to see if he can hit your fastball or if he could beat you in a hoops game to 21. Uh, he has a much better chance of beating me in a hoops game. My brother's very good at hoops. Now, he's shorter than me by about four and a half, five inches. So I have height on him. My brother is a better overall basketball player than me. He's also a better athlete than me at this point in his life at the age of 27. I could still beat him in hoops, but he has a better chance of beating me there. As far as baseball goes, that I don't think he could, I don't think he would hit me. Not anymore. I would have I would have a better shot at dominating him in that. But it's still bar games. I should have been able to smoke him and I couldn't. Dr just a dreadful night in an awesome city. Portsmouth was an awesome city and it it's been defiled for me because I lost in darts a couple of times and because I got skunked in pool. Who gets skunked in pool? I had like four shots where the thing is right next, where the ball is right next to the cup or right next to the, the hole, I mean, the pocket. And I, I like, I, I missed, like I scratched. Like the ball is like almost right next to what I'm shooting at, which is right next to the pocket. And I scratched like multiple times. I had like the eight, I had the, uh, like the six ball right there. I had the green ball, like the green solid. It was just horrible. 
It was horrible. I go hang out at the American Legion in Waterbury and watch my guy Steve over in Faston play. These guys are practically on the pro tour to me. I can't even hit one shot. One. And then I lose in darts. Absolutely fuming. My night, therefore, was ruined and was horrible. My afternoon was made better, though, because of the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox sweep the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm telling you what the Red Sox need to do now. I'll tell you next on the Brady Farkas Show on Deep. Slash learn. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Red Sox sweep the Toronto Blue Jays. That's great. They're three and a half games out of a wild card spot. That's, well, better than it was not that long ago after they had lost, you know, five straight games. So three and a half games back right now. The Red Sox continue to be in this weird nebulous zone, right? They get hot. They win three. They win four. They win five. And then they lose six of seven. So it's hard. I I think High and Bloom is in a harm in, in a hard spot here. Okay, he he's got to know his team isn't good enough right now. Like he's got to see that. He also doesn't have a team that's bad enough to completely give up on. I think that's pretty evident as well. He's got a team that's very very streaky, and he's hoping they can hit a streak at the right time here to find themselves in the race and then eventually in the playoffs. So. I do not envy the position that High and Bloom is in. This team has put him now in a hard position, right? If he goes all in and they lose six straight, then we're all going to be screaming about, how'd you not see that they weren't any good? If he sits back and the team kind of is hanging around, but we can all see, hey, they're still a piece short. Why didn't you go all in? He, he's got a very difficult situation here trying to navigate. He's got to realize his team isn't good enough right now, but how you go about trying to get it better, that's a very tough decision for him. Here's one thing the Red Sox need to do. The Boston Red Sox need to go out and acquire a starting pitcher. At the very least, they need to acquire a starting pitcher. I'm not telling you it has to be an ace. I'm not telling you that it has to be a guy you give up the farm for. I'm not saying that. But the Boston Red Sox are in a really, really bad situation pitching-wise. They need some help there. And maybe High and Bloom's best move or his first move is just to go out and get somebody's journeyman like Chris Flexen. Right? Chris Flexen of the Mariners was designated for assignment, was traded to the Mets today, and then was designated for assignment again. The Mets are paying his full salary. The Red Sox... Maybe they can get him. This is a guy who won 14 games two years ago. He's been terrible this year. He was okay last year at an ERA of 3-7. The Red Sox need bodies right now. I would be calling the Mets to try to trade for Chris Flexen. I would be trading for I would be signing him if he clears waivers and gets to free agency again after being DFA'd by them. The Red Sox situation right now is not a very good one in the rotation. You've got Hauk who's injured. You've got Sale who's injured. You've got Whitlock who's headed to the injured list now. Now, Whitlock doesn't need Tommy John surgery, it looks like, and that's great, but he's still headed to the injured list, and that's problematic. And, oh, by the way, you've got Bayo who's been awesome, 
but he's going to run up to innings limits at some point. Hey, he's going to run up to innings limits at some point. They're not going to let Bayo throw 180 innings this year. They're not going to. Somebody that young, with that much talent, with that much to offer the organization in the future, they're not going to burn him out in this season. They need help. They really need more than one starting pitcher, but they've got to start with one. They need bodies there because they don't have them, right? They've, I mean, look at what they've got. Okay, Pavetta, they like in the bullpen. They do not want to move him into the rotation. I probably would do that, but they don't want to right now. So Pavetta's not an option at this moment. Kluber, injured, ineffective. Not an option at this moment. I just listed four starters who were hurt and or have innings limits. We've already seen Cutter, Craw- uh, Cutter Crawford move to the rotation. They obviously like Winkowski better in the bullpen than they did as a starter. There are not a lot of options there, and this is not a team full of depth in the minor leagues, right? We already saw the kid, Walter, who pitched against the Minnesota Twins. He's really their only depth option there. And if you're talking about finishing out the season and staying in the playoff race, they're going to need somebody better than him or at least somebody more experienced than him. I'm not even a huge Chris Flexen fan, and I'd be saying call him tomorrow. This is a dire situation. The group that you and this is why High and Bloom is trying to build up the farm system. Because you need to have answers internally, and the Red Sox don't. Like this is why High and Bloom wants to build up the farm system. Because there are no answers here. Right? Some teams, okay, we got an injury, let's just go to triple A. Red Sox don't really have that. They don't really have it. Sales on the injured list. Houck's on the injured list. Kluber's on the injured list. Now you're going to have Whitlock on the injured list again. Paxton, you have no idea how long. Like, he's your most reliable starter right now. That's a scary proposition. You have no idea how his health is going to go. You've already got Crawford. Pavetta you like out there. Winkowski you like out there. Not, not a lot of moves on the chessboard here. For Ian Bloom. Look, I'd love for them to go and try to get Lucas Giolito. Hopefully, over the next two and a half, three weeks, they play well enough to warrant making a move like that. I hope they do. But even if they didn't, they got to find a way to get through this season, and that's where at least a guy like Chris Flexen will come in. This team needs all kinds of help in the rotation. I want them to stay around the race so they can go make a move for a guy like Giolito. But if, even if they didn't, they've got to get something there and somebody to eat some innings because it is ugly. Tex says maybe Bloom can get Marcus Stroman without giving up the future. He has experience winning games in the AL East. I do not think Stroman would want to come to Boston. Now, Stroman does not have a no-trade clause, so he wouldn't have anything to do about it. But I don't think Stroman would love Boston. Remember, he got into the thing with Dennis Eckersley here. Stroman is... Stroman is outspoken on cultural issues, which is certainly fine. But given Boston's history and known treatment of black players in baseball, 
I don't see this is speculation by me, but it's informed speculation. I follow Strowman on social media. I see what he says. I see what he talks about. And again, he's more than entitled to be a social justice advocate. Like that's that's perfectly acceptable. But given what has happened to a guy like Adam Jones in Boston, I can't see Strowman jumping for joy at the chance to come play here. Now he is 32 years old. But Strowman also has said he wants to be a Cub and I think wants to sign a long-term deal there. So maybe the Cubs just look at it and say, you know what, rather than trade him, maybe we just extend him. So I don't know that Strowman is going to be as available as you think it is. And also the Cubs are only four games back right now the, coming into today. The Cubs are in the playoff race in the NL Central. I mean, look at the teams that are out of it and I started thinking, okay, who can help me? Well, can I call the Tigers? They're kind of in the race, so probably not. White Sox, Giolito, maybe. Royals, do they have anybody? How about Brady Singer? Is he available? Maybe. I look in the National League. Uh, Padres, do you think you're out of it? How about Michael Walker? Is he available? Cardinals, what about Adam Wainwright? What about Jordan Montgomery? What about Steven Matz, Nationals, who you got, like Rockies? There's not a lot there, but there are some teams that are out of it. And the Red Sox need to be calling them because they don't have the bodies to get through this thing, especially if they want to stay in the race. And I want them to stay in the race. They are good enough to invest in. They're good enough to help. They're just not good enough to go. They're just not good enough to go all the way but they're also not bad enough to completely give up on. 802-585-3026. If I am the Boston Red Sox also, I'm telling you, I am trading Kike Hernandez. I am trading Kike Hernandez for a bunch of reasons. One, he has value in his versatility and his defense to a playoff contender. A playoff contender could give you a depth starter, a playoff contender could give you a young triple-A starter who's just about Major League ready who could be a guy for you. And also, the more Jaron Duran plays well and the more Jaron Duran shows me what he's got, the less that I need Kike. And I'm sorry because I like him, and I'm sorry because he was good in 2021 and he carried you in the playoffs, and all of that is true and all of it is undeniable. But this team doesn't need him right now. They've got too many outfielders, and I need Duran in the lineup as much as possible. And if Duran's going to be in the lineup and Duvall might be the DH, then I really don't have a whole lot of room for Kike. Okay? Um, I, I, I really don't want to. You know, I really don't have a room to play Kike. So use him as an asset. He will help somebody. And he can help you by bringing back something that you need. Texter sends me a message that says uh, Stroman will not get a contract extension before the trade deadline. That's fine. Doesn't mean that the Cubs won't hold on to him and then try to extend him after the fact, right? Doesn't mean that. Now, I get it. Now, they could. the Cubs could try to pull what the Yankees did with Aroldis Chapman. Remember Aroldis Chapman? Yankees had him. They traded him to the Cubs. Cubs won the World Series, and they signed Chapman back. So they got Chapman back and got Glaber Torres in a trade. 
The Cubs could try to do that with Stroman, trade him just to sign him again in the offseason. That's very possible. But, you know, again, I don't know that he'll want to play in Boston. Again, I do not know that. I know that Stroman grew up on Long Island and didn't like the way that people of color there were treated. I read him say something recently about, why do you think I don't ever go back to where I'm from? Again, that's not Boston. He grew up in Long Island. But given how Stroman feels about social and cultural issues, I don't know that a place with the history that Boston has is going to be a place at the top of his list either. If I'm Bloom, I start with trying to acquire Chris Flexen just to be a body and eat some innings. That's first and foremost. Then, if I go out here in two weeks and this this three-game stretch has turned into 8 of 10 and 11 of 13, well then, now I'm starting to talk about a bigger target like a Lucas Giolito. And I'm seeing what the what it will take for the White Sox to give me him. See what it will take for the White Sox to give me him. Red Sox are off today. Red Sox are going to take on the Texas Rangers tomorrow. Remember, that's a day game. 135 with the first pitch. 12:35 pregame show. Rangers got beat today by one run against the Astros. The Rangers were down 6-0 and 10-2. Came back, took an 11-10 lead, and then lost 12-11. So hopefully they're licking their wounds a little bit by the time they get to Boston. The Rangers are really good. That offense is relentless. But hopefully they're, uh, again, a little jet-lagged, a little out of it from a tough loss today. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Effecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I'll tell you more about my weekend coming up next here on DEV. And I got to I, I gotta find out what about, about Twitter with everybody. Somebody who's smart about Twitter, someone who's smart, period, about business, can let me in a little bit on what's happening with Twitter. Because this weekend was wild, and I had no time to go through and really try to examine it all. To the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes here on DEV. Reminder, we will have Jazz with George Thomas coming up next. It'll be on from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock, then I on the world with John Batchelor. I hope some of you are going out to fireworks shows today, so maybe you're on your way to Montpelier right now. Maybe you're headed up to the Burlington Waterfront. I used to love going to the Burlington Waterfront. We used to do my old show there uh, every single summer, and we did a special show, and we were on later that night. We were on until like 7.30 or 8 those days, so we were on for four hours instead of three. I love being at the waterfront. Now I'll, I'll probably today, because I'm here so late, I'll probably watch it on television. I know Local 22, Local 44 News is putting it on the air tonight. So I will watch the fireworks. I look forward to doing that. But uh, I love being at the Burlington Waterfront. Um, some of my best memories in Vermont are being there on July 3rd. So it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. I remember walking down one year from the Manhattan Pizza and Pub all the way to the waterfront and setting up and then going back and getting lunch. And it was Truly just one of the best times in Vermont is going to the waterfront uh, again for July 3rd. A couple texts are coming in here about Twitter. Let me – not every one of our listeners uses, uses Twitter. I am addicted to Twitter. Twitter is basically the way that I do my job, right? So here's kind of what I'll do. Let me take you behind the scenes of what happens here for me on Twitter. Well, first, let me tell you what happened to Twitter. I was out with my brother on Saturday, right? So I'm not, like, completely addicted to my phone or the internet on Saturday. And 
Saturday night, I started seeing people tweeting about Twitter being down. I'm like, well, okay, my Twitter's working. What's going on? And I start looking at it, and I see that apparently Elon Musk has imposed a limit to how many tweets a day you can see. Basically, if you're not paying, you can see 600 tweets a day, which is like nothing. If you are paying, you can see 6,000 tweets a day, which seems like a little bit more, but not, you know, you don't have carte blanche there to see everything that everyone's saying on Twitter. So now I'm like, whoa, 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 that's terrible. Like, this is horrible for me. Like, my job is largely dependent on Twitter. I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, a lot of the information that I get for this show, I originally found on Twitter or I originally saw on Twitter. So let me take you through kind of my process here. I'm watching a Red Sox game and I will have my phone near me. Something will happen though. You know, let's just say like yesterday, Garrett Whitlock leaves in the first. Now I'm on my phone and I'm like, okay, does anybody know what happened to Whitlock? Okay. Now the update comes down in inning three or so. Okay. He's got elbow tightness. Okay. Now we know that. So we got that information from Twitter. Now what are people saying about it? How are fans reacting? How is the media reacting? Are people looking scared? Are people looking worried? Do people think that they need to go out and get somebody? Then now the game ends and we're, okay, what's the press conference say? What does Alex Corris say? What is he getting an MRI? Oh, yes, he is getting an MRI. Well, what time is that going to be? That And then, well, now we find out today that he's going to head to the injured list. And now we're going to, okay, who's, who's writing what piece about who they can go get? Like, this is how my mind works. And it works that way for every single thing out there. So to not be able to have Twitter to endlessly scroll through, scroll through would be a tremendous loss for me in this job. So I need Twitter to get back to how it used to be. And I'm not smart enough to sit here and say, oh, Musk ruined it or whatever. I'm not smart enough to say that. I have no idea what Elon Musk is doing. But I know I need my old Twitter back. And I'm hoping somebody can tell me exactly what's going on. Like, why is this being done? Texter sends me a conspiracy theory about Elon Musk trying to break the uh, AI robots out. I have, I'm not smart enough to comprehend that. I don't live in that world. So this is what I look for. Like, this is how I look at it. Elon Musk wants us all to pay for Twitter. Well, if he limits how much I can see who's not paying for Twitter, and the guy paying can see 10 times as many things as me, well, I think he probably wants you to pay to, to incentivize me to pay. Like, I would think that's exactly what's happening here. I'm not smart enough to comprehend anything beyond that. But I need Twitter back. I need Twitter back to being what it was, because what it was was fun for work, dreadful for life, but fun for work, reliable for work, helpful for work, and it's brought a lot of good content on this show over the last couple of years. Uh, the other thing, now I want to move this direction. So someone can tell me about Twitter, but I just saw this on Twitter in the commercial break. I haven't reached my limit yet for the day, I guess. I saw an article about the Nathan's hot dog eating contest tomorrow, right? Joey Chestnut's going to be in it. It used to be Chestnut and Kobayashi and then Mickey Sudo on the women's side. So there have been a lot of really good competitive eaters here in the last 15 years or so. And the post said something akin to, there's nothing more American than the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And there's nothing more American than gambling on the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And then it would proceeded to have the lines about who the favorite is and the hot dog and all that. And how, how many are they going to eat over under, etc. Can I just say this? A or auto sales text line 802-585-3026. I need to know if anyone agrees with me. 
I am legitimately tired of the proliferation of gambling being everywhere. Really, this post says there's nothing more American than hot dog eating on July 4th. And you know what? There's really nothing more American than gambling on it. Really? I have never once gambled in my life on the hot dog eating contest. I've barely ever watched the hot dog eating contest. I am so tired of gambling infiltrating everything in sports, taking it completely over. Now, let me let, let me say this. I am not a prude when it comes to this. I am perfectly fine with gambling existing. I am perfectly fine with sports gambling existing. I am happy that the state of Vermont is going to bring sports gambling into its, you know, it, it's going to allow sports gambling. It's good for the state overall. It's good for the state financially to get a cut of that revenue. I enjoy gambling to a degree. I, I go to a casino and you know play $100 on three-card poker and have fun every single time. I've also thrown you know 10 bucks on Patriots minus seven before. So I have gambled before. I am not a gambling prude, but I am so tired of gambling being everywhere. And you know what I really don't like? People who shouldn't be talking gambling, talking gambling. Because let me let let me let you in to a little hint here. Okay? I like to gamble, as I just told you. But I don't think that I'm an expert. Right? I think that I would be doing a disservice to come here and tell you my gambling picks. Right? I could come out here every week and say, yeah, I got Patriots minus three, and I got Seahawks plus six and a half, and I got the uh, Celtics over under, uh, I got them over uh, 106 tonight. I could do that. And you know what? It would be fun, and you could laugh at me if I got them wrong, but some of you might mistake me for an expert and go put money on it and lose your house because of the picks that I gave you. And I don't want that. So I talk very little gambling. And that is by choice because I'm not good enough to understand it well enough to go and give you good advice. And I know that that is what's happening nationally around the country. There are people who are great at gambling. Okay. There are people who are great at gambling. There's no doubt. Okay. And there's all kinds of networks devoted to it, but also there's just gambling companies that will give money places and they'll say, Hey, We'll give you X amount of advertising dollars, but put in a pick segment. And the people will do it because that's how they get the money. But I'm not good enough to do that. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to sit here and lie to you and say, hey, go and put your, hey, you work really hard all week. You got 100 bucks of disposable income. Why don't you go throw it all on Jets plus three and a half in Cleveland? That's not me. When we very first started this show, I knew gambling was a big deal, and I was like, man, everyone's talking gambling. We got to have gambling, and I was like, okay, we got to do fantasy or gambling. So I, the very first month of this show, we had a segment called the, uh, the, the Friday Locks or something. I got rid of that segment so quick because I'm like, I am so out of my element here, and I don't want to lead you on. I like gambling. I do it. I'm wrong more than I'm right. But I'm so tired of gambling being everywhere. I like 
I like my sports talk to just be sports. I don't want everything to have a gambling bend. There are networks that have gambling bends, right? Their whole thing, the BetQL network, my buddy runs it, okay? There are there are absolutely gambling-related networks that that's all they do, and they're really good at it, and I'm glad that they exist. But on the more mainstream network, like this one, I don't need gambling to be in everything. I would rather hear the broadcasters and the radio people talk about trades and impact and you know, speculation about who we can go sign and this, that. I don't need everything to be like, hey, I got the Red Sox minus 135 today. What do you think, Bob? Like, that's not for me. Okay, that's not for me. Mike in South Hero says, I agree. Glenn in Middlebury wants to know how hot dog eating is even a sport. It's not. It's an activity. Although competitive eating is a highly paid activity, so I give those people that do it credit. It actually it takes an insane amount of skill to be a competitive eater, and then to be in shape to be a competitive eater. It actually does take a lot. But you can gamble on anything, right? You can gamble on who the president's going to be. That's not a sport. You can gamble on who their running mate's going to be. That's not a sport. You can gamble on this, that, or who's going to win American Idol, I'm sure. You can gamble on all kinds of things that aren't sports. Tex says, Okay. I agree 100% gambling has taken over the sports industry. Providing state tax revenue is good, but we need to remember it always had a grip. It just wasn't legal outside of Vegas and Atlantic City. I agree with you on Twitter as well. Uh, I'd like to think most sports fanatics don't need gambling to keep interest on sports, but it does bring in new audiences. It does. And look, I, I get it. Right? The NCAA tournament. Okay? Why are so many people into the NCAA tournament? Because they've got their bracket, right? We're all, I'm not dumb. I've had a bracket every year of my life. Okay, that's gambling. Whether it's $5 or $500 or $5,000, that's gambling. And the fact that you have a little bit of action on it means you're interested. So gambling has a place in our sports. I just don't need to be inundated with it everywhere. And then we see these NFL guys getting suspended And you know what? Yeah, we can all sit here and say, oh, man, they're so stupid. How could you do that? You threw it all the way. You knew the rules. Well, you know what? When your league is so in bed with gambling, you are going to have some people that fall victim to it as well. Because you know what the league is trying to do? The league is trying to get every single 18 to 65-year-old gambling. You know who's in their league? 18 to 65 year old. So they're trying to hit you and me and they're hitting some of their own as well. So I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for NFL players that are getting suspended for gambling, but the NFL is creating this system. The NFL creates this system and then boots people out of it. And I don't think that's right either. Yeah. I don't need my whole show to be gambling. I don't need all the sports center to be gambling. I don't need all of, you know, I listen to Cowherd. Cowherd does 10 minutes on gambling every Friday. That I like. It's a three-hour show, 10 minutes of gambling, two hours and 50 minutes of talking about football ahead. That's what I'm down with. I'm not down with everything being gambling-related. Tex says, every sports game has a segment on how to gamble. There's too much of it. Uh, people shouldn't be coerced into putting money down on everything, but if they want to, then no problem. Yes, that's fine. Again, you want to gamble, go ahead. I don't judge you for gambling. I don't think you're the dregs of the earth for gambling. I don't look at gambling like gambling was looked at 25 years ago. I don't. 
I don't mind gambling existing. I am happy. I am an advocate for Vermont getting gaming. It will be good for the sport, or for, or for the state, rather, when it comes to money. I read the news every day, and every day I hear about something costing a lot more money and the state having to borrow this and looking for a loan on that. Well, look, now we're going to get $2 million to $10 million to $20 million a year from gambling, and it can be used for some of that. That's good. Need a new road? Hey, let's go to the gambling uh, coffers. Hey, we need a new bridge? Let's use some of the gambling coffers. I'm for all that. I just don't need my entire life run by gambling, which is what has happened now in sports and in sports media. I mean, my goodness, that they there's nothing more American than betting on the hot dog thing. You know, you know, you know what's there's nothing more American than me going to the Fourth of July parade and forgetting that the that the hot dog eating contest was even on. There's nothing more American than that. Me coming home from the Fourth of July parade. After having my own hot dog at it and taking a nap before the fireworks. There's nothing more American than that. I have never watched more than one hot dog eating contest. I've seen, like, in 15 years, I have probably seen one hour total of hot dog eating experiences. I, I couldn't care less. Like, I'll be amazed afterwards at Chestnut eating 85 of them or whatever. I will. I'll think that's amazing, and I'll probably make a comment about it, but I'm not going to watch it. I don't need to. I'm not going to come on here and go, hey, the new, the dynasty continues for Joey Chestnut. Not going to be me. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Texter says hot dog eating contest is overrated. Another texter says hot dog eating contest is underrated. Hey, to each their own. I don't I don't dislike it. It's just not for me. Bob and Moncton says, Brady, for not liking talking about gambling, you sure are, sure are talking a lot about gambling. Ha, 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 ha. Like, what? Okay, I'm not sitting here and telling you minus four, minus six, plus 135 on the run line, on the money line. I'm venting. I don't even know that I'm talking about gambling. I'm venting. But every time you vent about something, somebody says, oh, Brady, you're just a gambling prude. No, that's not it. So I'm venting and defending myself preemptively. It's Bob, it's also the day before 4th of July. Things get a little zany on the day before holidays in radio. I'm not going to lie to you. That, that's a rule. And Peter in Williston used to be in radio. He knows that. Holidays are a time when something can go off the rails. So uh, Texter says... Uh, Text says, I bet UVM basketball is going to be more interesting than the world of betting. That's from Tom. I think UVM basketball is going to be very interesting. And I actually, I do want to talk briefly about UVM basketball because there's something here that I wanted to mention. But to Tom's original point, Texter says, have a good fourth. Thank you. To Tom's original point, UVM basketball is going to be very interesting this year on, on both fronts, right? Both men and women. For the women, how do they move forward without Catherine Gilwee? Th this, to me, is going to be the single biggest storyline of the season for UVM, right? Everybody's going to make it about how do they repeat as America East champions? How do they come back? How do they, how do, they do it again? Everyone's going to make UVM women's basketball that story. No, the real story is how do they do anything without Catherine Gilwee? 
She is that important to the team. Catherine Gilby is your point guard. Nothing happens offensively without her. She has true poise on the court. She sets everything up. She's a good passer. She has good court vision. She handles the press well. The team, the team's offensive success exists because of Catherine Gilby. And I'm not trying to be hyperbole there or have hyperbole. I'm just telling you the truth. UVF women's basketball has really good offensive players. Emma Utterback is a good offensive player. Delaney Richardson is a good offensive player. Anna Olsen is a good offensive player. They can all exist and do what they do because Catherine Gilby is great at what she does. She puts everybody in the right spot, makes the right pass, does the little things, bounce pass into the post, good backdoor feed. All of that stuff is created by Gilby. So now the head's been cut off the snake. How does UVM react and how do they put players in good positions without her? That is their biggest question. Everybody's going to talk about repeating. Everybody's going to talk about getting back to the NCAA tournament. Everyone's going to talk about that. The real thing is how do you get players in a good position without Catherine Gilwey? That's that's it. That's the question. As for the men's side, they're incredibly interesting as well. They got eight new players. Okay, they've got eight new players. This continued churn and roster turnover leads to to tough stuff for the program every year in terms of getting team chemistry going and learning people's roles and making everybody fit and keeping everybody happy. And everybody transferred into UVM for a reason. You got a lot of mouths to feed. How you keep everybody happy is a big thing here for John Becker. He told us that last week. Right? You've got the returning leader in Aaron Deloney. It's his team, Becker told us. You've got Nick Fiorillo. You've got TJ Hurley. You've got the other guys last year who redshirted. And you got eight new players this year. There's a lot of things happening there. And how it all comes together and that soup gets made with all those ingredients is going to be fascinating. I like where UVM is at. Coach Becker got me all jacked up last week talking about the roster and looking at the new players. I can't wait for the season to begin. But it's not easy to make everything come together here quickly. I got another UVM thought in a second. 802-585-3026. Texter says, Tom wants to know, was the news definite that Catherine Gilwey is gone the entire year? Yes, Catherine Gilwey is out for the entire season. That has already been... That has already been announced. So for UVM women's basketball, Gilwee is not part of this. Now, all we know is that she has a lower body injury. We have not been told exactly what it is. It is not my place to speculate on the nature of someone's injury. But you know it's got to be fairly serious if we're already ruling her out. I mean, she got ruled out for the year in June. The season doesn't even start until October, practice-wise. So that's four months plus a four-month season. I mean, this is an eight-month recovery at least for Catherine Gilwey. Now, it's good in the sense that she gains an extra year and she can, you know, be a, a, a have an extra year here and help, you know, when some of these players leave. But by and large, this is terrible. It's terrible for this year's team. It's terrible for her. It's terrible for the community that loves to watch her. The only thing you can sit here and say is she gets a medical red shirt and she gets another year here, and that's cool. But 
Come on, no one's rooting for that. Like, no one's rooting for that to be the case here. Texter says, Brian and Brookfield, this is great for the state. I love a good parlay. I, I love a good parlay, too. I've parlayed before. Usually lose them, but I've parlayed before. I just don't need everything in life being about gambling. That's all. Uh, my guy Peter says, Holiday radio is entirely different, and it should always be fun. So there you go, Bob. That's why I'm venting about gambling today. My last kind of thought here on UVM men's basketball is we talk about the interest of it all or, or how interesting they are is I want to know what the schedule is going to look like. Okay, I want to know what the schedule is going to look like. We had Becker on last week and he said something to us very very interesting about the schedule and the schedule is not done yet and we don't have a good idea of of where it's at right now but here's what becker said about the schedule and kind of the process you know i've worked a lot closer with jeff shulman this year in in trying to figure out the best approach to our scheduling because we never want to put ourselves in a position that we were last year where you know we only had two home games in the non-conference we're on the road for 19 out of 21 days yeah. uh, in November. And, you know, just from a wear and tear on the guys and, and, and that part of it. Um, but also things have gotten a lot, exp a lot more expensive and for budget reasons, um, you know, we've, we've got to be, you know, hopefully we can start to, you know, play bus trip games that were in the bus trip and, and where we can go down and back. And for, for those reasons, um, you know, clean up our schedule a little bit. Okay. I get it. Right. Inflation, everything's more expensive. I totally get it. That said, I hate thinking about UVM as a budget program. Right? I get that they are. I'm not I'm not stupid. Well, sometimes, but I'm not usually stupid. I get that UVM is a budget program or has a budget. I wish that that wasn't necessarily as much of the case. I want to see this program grow. I want to see this program get better. And money appears to be in the way of that. Now, I am for what Becker's saying about not doing what they did a year ago. What they did last year was absurd. Okay, They traveled too much. They played poorly. They didn't practice. They're out of school. I'm not a fan of how last year's schedule shaped up for them. Okay, This year, though, to be sitting here and saying... Yeah, we're scheduling on a budget. We're looking for day trips. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. I hate to hear that because I still want this program to be better, and I don't like hearing that that's their main focus, right? Their focus is on what can we do to save money? What can we do to keep the money light or keep the commitment light? Now, they're going to, to the uh, Myrtle Beach Showcase. Okay, They're going to the Myrtle Beach Showcase. They're going to play down there. That thing is a great tournament. And Becker said they want at least two high major games. Those are going to be games that they're paid for, so good competition, and they're going to make money. But you look at the rest of the schedule. What we know, they're going to play Yale again. They're going to play Dartmouth again. They're going to play, I think, Colgate or Cornell again. They're going to play, uh, I want to say, Northeastern again. They've got Toledo. Tom says... Driving games are still okay if they're playing UConn, Iona, Manhattan, Boston College, or Rhode Island, or even Syracuse. Um, there are certainly good games within a drive. There, there absolutely are, right? It doesn't all have to be 
far out there. What I don't want to see them do is end up playing Central Connecticut State and Merrimack, who they're playing, and I don't want to see them playing, you know, I just don't want to see them playing lesser competition just because it's close. Right? Like, they're playing Brown again. That's good. Okay? I'd like to see them play Siena. That's a good program. That's a comparable level to them. So that's a drive. I'd like to see them play Iona. I think that would be good as well. That would be two teams out of the MAC. Um, like to see him play a Boston College. Yeah, I, I, so I think the Texas right. There are good matchups in driving distance. I just don't want to see UVM be like, nah, we've got to play lesser competition just, just in order to fit the requirement. If they can get the games that we want them to get, they can play UMass, that would be excellent. Right? But I don't want it to be Central Connecticut State. Texter says maybe by conference tournament time, UVM women's hoops may have found a different way to win. However, doubtful that seems now. I don't doubt that UVM women's hoops can win. But when you are a team that is... UVM women's basketball, I believe, is very regimented. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think, in fact, it's a good thing. These players know their roles on the UVM women's team. Emma Utterback knows her role. I don't think tries to go outside it too much. Delaney Richardson, Anna Olsen, they know what they're good at. They know what they do well. Okay, Everybody fits into a little puzzle piece. And Catherine Gilwee fits into a puzzle piece too. But her puzzle piece makes all the other puzzle pieces go. Because, like, play a little game with me here. Let's just say, for the sake of argument. Okay, let's just say for the sake of argument. UVM gets a new point guard. And that new point guard isn't ready, right? They're just not ready. Well, now, what? Like, what is going to happen? Well, now, Emma Utterback, well, now, that new point guard's not ready, and no one else can flourish, right? That'd be pretty obvious. That'd be pretty terrible. So, Coach Kresge says, hey, Emma Utterback, you're going to play point guard. Well, now, the point guard isn't as good as Catherine Gilwee was, and the shooting guard's not Emma Utterback. So, now we've got, now we've been hampered at two spots. Now we say, hey, we don't have this, so we got to do that. Now we're just like kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's that's That would be a problem for UVM women. I do think they can win. I think they're well enough coached. I think they're veteran enough. I think they're disciplined enough. I think they have good enough leadership. That's all really good. And I think they're just naturally better than some of their competition, especially in the league. So they will be able to overcome it to a degree. But I'm talking about trying to win a championship again, and how do you do that? Without your offensive table setter. That is very, very difficult. Another texter wants me to go play St. John's. They played St. John's a couple years ago, remember? They won at the buzzer. I think Anthony Lamb hit a shot at the buzzer, and they won that game. So that was, in fact, uh, a matchup that has happened before. There are good matchups. You are right. Good matchups exist within a drivable distance. I just don't want to see UVM settle for the sake of the budget. I want the program. You know how I am. I want the program to get better. And you don't get better playing Merrimack and Central Connecticut State all all preseason or all uh, non-conference season. You get better by taking on challenges. Hopefully they can find some of those challenges that fit their budget as well. It's the Brady Farkas Show. We're brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Robert Kraft said something about the New England Patriots and the AFC East last week. 
Is he right? We'll examine. That's next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up at 7 o'clock. And it's very weird. Like, I'm sure a lot of you feel this way. When you're working on a holiday time, it doesn't feel like a holiday. Like, I didn't even realize that we were coming up on July 4th until, like, last week. I had, like, no idea July 4th was coming because in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just Tuesday. Like, I'm working Tuesday. And here I am, I'm in today, and a lot of the administrative staff is out of the office, and tomorrow almost everyone's going to be out of the office. And I'm like, I'm going to be here all day, so it doesn't feel any different to me. You're all out there parading and fireworking and barbecuing, and I'll be here to take you home after the Red Sox game tomorrow. It just feels no different to me. So I hope all of you have a great holiday. I'll be enjoying it here. I'll watch the fireworks on TV tonight at the Burlington Waterfront because they'll be airing on Local 22, Local 44. But, yeah, when you're working a holiday – doesn't feel. Di- I'm sure a lot of you have worked Christmas. A lot of you have probably worked on New Year's. A lot of you have probably worked on Memorial Day. So I'm, I'm not the only one. So you know, cry me a river about working on the holiday. It just doesn't feel any different to me today. Like I didn't even realize it was a holiday until very, very recently. Um, I get to Robert Kraft in a second, but when we went to commercial break, there was that Roger Hill commercial about Roger taking a group of people to the Antarctic Circle. How cool is that? Like, how cool is that? Go hang out at the Arctic Circle. Hang out with Roger Hill. Now, now, yeah, it'd be cold, but I think they have proper clothes. As my old baseball coach used to say, Farkas, no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. They got clothes for that, so we'll be all right. But I'm not going, so you'll be all right if you are going. How cool is that, though? Hang out, check out the whales and the penguins and the polar bears and all that. I saw a black bear on the side of the road the other day in New Hampshire. Did I tell you this at the beginning of the show? I don't think I did. I'm driving to New Hampshire to see my brother. I'm on 89 near Grantham, New Hampshire. So I'm I'm into New Hampshire, but I'm not like that far. Maybe like 45 minutes or so, I think. On the It's the median strip of the highway, but it was a very thick and wide median strip. It wasn't like you know, it's just like highway, median highway. I mean, there was significant vegetation and wooded area on this on this part of the median. But when I first saw this black bear, he was like not that far from the road. He was in the grass, alive. Lee asked me earlier, was the thing alive? Yes, it was alive. Um, he's alive. He's foraging, whatever, not causing anybody any harm. But I'm like, should I call New Hampshire Fish and Wildlife? Any of you people who are... Hunters, animal enthusiasts, people who know wildlife well better than me, the Flatlander, let me know what I should have done because I'd like to know for the next time. I saw the bear and I was like, do I need to call New Hampshire Fish and Wildlife? Because I'm like, is this thing out of its habitat? And then I realized, like, okay, the median area is fairly significant vegetation. And then on the other side of the highway is nothing but grass. Like on, on my side of the highway, there's nothing but grass over on the right. So I'm like, okay, he probably just moseyed across the road. Hopefully he'll mosey back. Hopefully there's no cars coming. It'll be okay. So I didn't call New Hampshire Fish and Wildlife. I was actually looking for a number at one point as I was driving, but I was like, well, I can't be on my phone while I'm driving. So I let it go. But I wanted to call because I was like, I didn't know that this thing wasn't out of its element. But so I'm seeing bears. You're going to go to Antarctica and see bears. I have this question for you too, though. 
Does anybody ever go down the Does anybody ever go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole? I hear people talk about going down the YouTube rabbit hole, right? You go to YouTube, you look for something, you end up watching like 37 other things. Does anybody ever go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole? Because upon hearing the Roger Hill commercial for the first time, I go down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. I spent like an hour and a half on Wikipedia the other day, and I'm reading about everything. I was reading about the Arctic Circle. I'm reading about latitude and longitude. I'm reading about climate of the Arctic Circle. Then I'm looking up about orcas and where do they live and are they in the Arctic Circle. Then today I was reading about sharks. I read a little bit on Moscow, the city, because I heard that there was a Moscow, Vermont. So now I'm looking up Moscow, Russia, and I'm looking at pictures of that. And I'm reading about Ukraine and the Soviet Union and the history with Russia. And I'm looking up this. I, I went down, the, I went down the, the Wikipedia rabbit hole for like an hour and a half the other day. Just things randomly that I'm interested in and things randomly that popped into my mind after seeing the Roger Hill thing. But I did like significant 20 minutes of reading on orcas on Wikipedia. This is when I'm not watching sports. This is where I'm at. When I'm not watching sports, like this is what my mind is doing. Thinking about orcas. And then I was reading about sharks. And then I read about uh, grizzly bears fairly recently. And it's talking to me in all this science lingo that I don't understand. But I'm still reading it anyways. I read about, oh, then, I, then last, uh, two weeks ago I'm reading about the Titanic. And I'm reading about Newfoundland where the Titanic is off the coast of. And I'm reading about how the Titanic sank and how it was built. And it's just, it just a nonstop stream of consciousness thought for me. Does anybody else do this? Is anybody else wired like me? Or am I just completely nutso? Don't answer that. Well, you can answer it if you want. Text line's open. 802-585-3026. All right. I also looked up Siberia today. I wanted to read a little bit about Siberia. And then not on Wikipedia, I read a lot about the Kazakh Tennis Federation. So this is where my mind is at right now. It's a holiday for you, and for me, my mind's working in overdrive. Uh, Robert Kraft, Patriots owner, was speaking last week. And he said a couple of things in this soundbite that are very interesting. I want you to hear it. I'm really excited for this upcoming season and training camp. I think we've had a great off season, and I like our draft. And, you know, we, we're probably playing in the toughest division in football, but I love our team. And one thing I know about you, you won't be satisfied if one thing doesn't happen, right? What's the only thing that makes it uh, all worthwhile? Number seven. Couple of things there. One, Robert Kraft says number seven, Super Bowl number seven. That's the thing that motivates me. That's the only thing that'll make me happy. He also says that the Patriots are playing probably in the best division in football, the toughest division in football. And that's where I that's what I ask you. 802-585-3026, A or Auto Text Line. That's A or Autosales.com, North Main Street and Barry. Do you think Robert Kraft is right? Is the AFC East the toughest division in football. Texter wants me to talk about the Red Sox. I will get to that in a second. Do the Patriots play in the toughest division in the in the NFL? Man, I got to say I think it is I think it all hinges 
on how good Denver is. I think that question hinges on how good Denver is. Because I think if Denver is good, I think the AFC West is the toughest division in football. Now, I understand that there's a king on top of that in the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. But if we're looking at the four best teams in a division, if Denver is good, I think it would be the AFC West. Because then you would have the Chiefs and Mahomes, Herbert, you would also have Denver with Russell Wilson, who's a Hall of Famer. Whether he's good or not this year, I don't know, but he's a Hall of Famer. And then Vegas, who we don't have to be high on, but I do think they're a 500-ish team. Okay, I do think they are a 500-ish team. I think there are no horrible teams in the AFC West if Denver is good. I think the AFC East is extremely difficult, but I don't think it's the best. Peter says, how about the AFC North? AFC North is tough as well. I would say that kind of depends on, I would say there are two known commodities there, Cincy and Baltimore, and then Cleveland and Pittsburgh can be good, but it depends on quarterback play, right? Deshaun Watson wasn't very good last year at the end. Kenny Pickett was okay. I know Peter in particular from the text line is very high on Kenny Pickett. We'll see where he goes, but that is a tough division. The NFC East is also very tough. Maybe not in terms of could they beat everyone else in the league, but they can all cannibalize each other. Remember, there were three teams in the NFC East last year in the playoffs. Giants, Dallas, and Philly. Now, Washington, I do not think is a particularly good number four team in the division. They're, so the overall depth of the NFC East is not as good as the AFC East or the AFC West or the AFC North. But I think Robert Kraft is close. I would say, I'll would i say this. If Denver is ends up being bad, then I think Robert Kraft is right. If Denver ends up being good, then I think that I'm right. Um, yeah, don't sleep on Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Browns is the text. And Linda in Middlebury says, no, the Patriots do not play in the best division. Again, I think Robert Kraft is right if Denver ends up bad. If Denver ends up good, I think that division really is going to be hell. The Chiefs may very well end up on top of it. But in terms of what division could beat up on another division, I would say the AFC West would have the edge. I, the Chargers are going to be, again, one of the more fascinating teams in football because Herbert is mega talented. They've got Eckler back, but they've always found a way to find ways to lose games. Like, they should be a 10-11 win team, and instead they're a 7-8 win team because of coaching decisions going forward on fourth down with Brandon Staley and choking away games and questionable play calling. If they can play to their peak, we could have two double-digit win teams in the AFC West. But are they going to play to their peak? Denver could be a team that could be really good with Sean Payton and Russ. We will see what happens. By the way, training camp starts like three weeks from now. Like, we are almost in football season. I, I can't believe it. I am not ready to wish away summer. I'm not ready to wish away baseball, but... I just can't believe that the clock is the calendar is turning this quickly and it is almost football season. I mean, we're going to be in Foxborough for intake like July 20th or so. That's not even 3 weeks from now. Let me look up the exact day that Patriots training camp um 
starts here. July 26th is their first training camp practices. So they're going to report to training camp, uh, you know, earlier than that, obviously, physicals, etc. So we, we are, we're three weeks away from practice. We are less than three weeks away from report day, probably. I, I truly can't believe it. Texter says, you'd have to think Denver will be a lot better with Sean Payton. I agree with you about the AFC West. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Air Auto text line 802-585-3026. Linda from Middlebury asked the million-dollar question. Are the Red Sox going to buy or sell before the trade deadline? And I don't mean to be on the fence, Linda. It's truly going to depend on what happens here soon. I think the Red Sox have to buy pitching. It doesn't have to be top end. You think they're going to contend pitching. But I do think, as we talked about earlier, they need to go out and get some bodies on the mound. Because with Hauk injured and Whitlock injured and Sale injured and Bayo having innings limits, they need some people, and Kluber injured, they need people who can take the ball. So whether that is someone else's designated for assignment, cast off, or whether that is somebody's, um, you know, somebody's AAA stash, they need to go out and get it. So I think they need to acquire pitching. As far as truly buying and selling, then it's going to depend on how the team is doing here over the next two weeks or so. The Red Sox have been too streaky for High and Bloom to know one way or the other what he should do. Again, that's not a fun answer, but it's just a real answer. The Red Sox are 43 and 42. They are an average baseball team. They win three, they lose four. They win five, they lose six. They win, they they lose three, they win four. Like this is who they are. They're not good enough. They're not consistent enough to go all in. They're not bad enough to blow it up right now. You have to wait and see and push the can down the road two weeks or so and see where they are. July 15th, July 17th, July 20th, right after the All-Star break. Where are they at? This team should trade Kike Hernandez. They should trade him tomorrow. He's a great guy. He's a good veteran. He's got real value to somebody. He doesn't have a lot of value to the Red Sox. Not with Duran playing as well as he's playing. So they got to trade Kike. If they're not going to trade Kike, then they got to trade Duvall. They got to trade one of those two. And I think Kike has more value. And they got to trade him for either pitching that can help now or high level prospect depth that can be called up soon. If this team is bad the next two weeks, if they go on another five, six game losing streak, then you're going to see them sell everybody. Everybody that can be sold is going to be sold. If it's not bolted to the floor, it's out, right? James Paxton would be gone. Kike would be gone. Duvall would be gone. You'd see probably Justin Turner and maybe Kenley Jansen gone too. So you go through a bad stretch. All those guys are gone. You go through a good stretch. Then I think you're talking about dealing from your upper level minor prospect depth and you're talking about trading away Duvall or Kike, somebody that you're kind of selling in order to buy. I am Bloom did not want to give up Marcelo Meyer. He's not going all, all in. Okay, he's not going farm system all in here. That's not going to happen. But I think he wants this team to be in it. He wants to buy. Tech says, don't want to uh, uh, big sell-off. It takes too long to recover. 
doesn't take too long to recover from trading the likes of, you know, Kenley Jansen and just and Justin Turner. There's a Kenley Jansen and a Justin Turner out there a lot of different years. That's just reality of it, right? You can go sign those kind of players again next year. Maybe not quite the same guys, but the Red Sox aren't going to sell off everything for parts. They don't have that much that's desirable. Kike and Paxton, Duvall, uh, Jansen, Martin, a bunch of guys who they signed this year. So if they signed these guys this year, they can find guys like it next year. That's just the reality. I want them to be in it. I don't want them to be in a position to trade guys, but, you know, the next two weeks will tell you. Roger from Middlebury, they need to sell because they have a lot of trade chips and they need to stock the miners. They've been stocking the miners. So if they're way out of it, they're going to stock the miners. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, my preference is that they're in enough to at least make some moves to keep us interested in the second half. I don't want a total sell-off. If they lose six in a row, they're going to have a total sell-off. If they win six in a row, then they're going to buy. And that's just the way it goes. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for humoring me on talking about losing to my brother in darts. Thanks for humoring me on venting about gambling. And thanks for humoring me on explaining to me what the hell happened with Twitter over the uh, weekend. So we had some fun and uh, talked a lot of sports as well. Full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball tomorrow at 135. So we are on the air tomorrow. We are on the air for a full show after the Red Sox. Tough series beginner against the Texas Rangers. That's one of the best teams in baseball. They lost today. Hopefully you catch them licking their wounds a little bit. We'll see what happens. But that is a very difficult team coming into Fenway Park. Trust me, I know as a Mariners fan from experience. So that's a 135 first pitch, and we're on for a full show after. Jazz with George Thomas is next. Have a safe and happy third if you're watching fireworks places, and I'll see you tomorrow on DEV.